Gosh, Bob, I am so excited to be here with you. We have, um, well, it's actually, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but my wife gave me a gift one time when I lived in Vancouver, British Columbia. The gift was a retreat on Vancouver Island to read through your book. That one you have three copies for the grandchildren locked in a safe. I do. And I asked her if I could trade in Vancouver Island for Palm Springs, if I could trade in the rain for the sun. And I went to Palm Springs, read your book, and it changed me for the better for a long time. So I'm thanks. honored to hear that. Total life management. That one. 1990. 1990. That's how that's when how old we were. books were in print on paper. That's right. Bound in uh, hard bindings. I know. Instead of on these little Kindle plasma devices. screens. Yes. But you you basically left the marketplace. You ran a, a business. I ran a business, and here we are helping men and women understand their calling in the marketplace. What would you say gets you up in the morning? Why do you do what you do? Um, I'm. I'm stirred to release uh, underexploited resources, hmm. uh, things that could ch- solve all the greatest problems around us that are locked into vaults and producing no value hmm. um, stimulate me. And I'm not talking about uh, hard assets that are intangible. I'm talking about people that are tangible, that are powerful, that have custody of teams, of technologies, of um, intellectual property, of money, uh, people who have been uh, gifted by God with more than they ever imagined at their disposal and under their control, for which they will one day give account. Hmm. Um, I want to help them get all of what they come to the table with every morning um, exposed, inventoried, and then leveraged to make an impact in a way that will still be talked about a thousand years from now. Hmm. Wow. That is that is such a hard thing for people, I think, to grasp. I've I have a little talk that I do called What's in the Box of Your Life and it it kind of emerged actually one morning. You know how that goes, you're gonna go do a talk and it's all prepared and then you're doing something and you change everything. And I was in the garage, I had this one big rubber made bin that contained everything in my father's life who had died a few years earlier. And I kind of thought, wait a minute, he went from a bassinet to a one-bedroom dorm room to a two-bedroom condo to a five-bedroom house plus a lake house down to a one-bedroom condo to the hospital, died, and now everything he owned is in one box and he's in heaven. And I kind of thought, what's in the box of my life? And so I'm, like you, really excited to help CEOs, business leaders, owners understand, well, if you don't use the company that God gave you for the kingdom, you are going to have to stand before God someday and say, well, I'm a smarter CEO, I'm a smarter leader, I read lots of books, and God's going to say, well, what did you do with it all? I just don't think God's going to ask what was my market share. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And return on equity. I mean, I, I just don't think that the questions he's going to pose will be the same questions that are on the dashboard that most of us get up to in the morning. Yeah. We have to recognize those things as necessary, but not sufficient. Yeah. No one will be saying, can I sync my phone with my laptop one more time? Exactly. <laughs> I think back to uh, an event. Uh, my friend Jim and I had daughters that were at the same age, about eight, to eight years old. And we wanted to take them on an overnight adventure. And we were going to uh, climb Mount San Gorgonio in mm-hmm. the San Bernardino Mountains. And uh, 
we rigged our plans to uh, carry the heavy stuff in our backpacks, Jim and I, and our daughters only had just meager clothing and uh, toiletries for their overnight. Mm -hmm. And we set off from the parking area and we're going up what should have been a very controlled hike of a couple of miles to get to the place where we were gonna camp. And I looked at my daughter and she was struggling under the weight of her pack. And I said, uh, let me look in your backpack. And she became defensive and said, don't look, don't look. And I grabbed it and opened it up and she fancied herself a rock collector. Uh -huh. And she had taken these massive, I mean, they were like cantaloupe sized rocks and put them in her, her backpack. And all my effort to make the hike manageable for her had been thwarted by her effort to pick up a bunch of stones that had no value at all and which she did not need to carry. Hmm. And she was questioning whether or not she could continue the adventure because mm -hmm. the burden she was carrying was too mm -hmm. great. I think back to that almost mm -hmm. 35 years later and recognize that most people are hauling around things that are keeping them from making the journey and uh, achieving the summit and proclaiming the victory in mm -hmm. life that they're really after because the rocks that they've allowed to in, infiltrate their backpack are mm. keeping them from the mission. Hmm. Wow. So if you had to think of the, the average leader, they either run their own business or they run a large business, what would you say are some of the rocks in their backpack that are keeping them from running the race? <laughs> well, sometimes we've allowed ourselves to be defined by the demand that we're in rather than defining the demand based on who we are. Mm -hmm. And reorienting our thinking toward making our career lives uh, a perfect environment in which we can express the best of who we are mm -hmm. and find the leverage of the p power of our individual um, identity in that space. And that's not just theoretical, philosophical. It's about asking the question, uh, what have I allowed the demands to change about my daily activities Am I doing things that come with the turf or am I doing things that grow out of my uniqueness? Mm -hmm. There's very little that is happening around us today that amplifies or um, clarifies our understanding of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Far more that's being imposed on us by outside voices that say, you have to do this, you have to do that. If you want this, you're gonna have to perform this way. And we assume a false self. We begin mm -hmm. to pose in the role that we're in rather than making the role become us. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, we see evidences that that's not necessary when Zuckerberg shows up with a hoodie mm -hmm. as a billionaire. Well, there's a guy who says, I'm only gonna be who I am. And uh -huh. if you expect different from someone who's going into IPO, you're not gonna get it from me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, how come we're getting suited up to go live a life that doesn't fit who we really are if we're surrounded with even sort of popular cultural models that say, this is who I am, take it or leave it, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. finding the accommodation that comes from people being genuine. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of a talk that Francis Chan does where he takes this rope that he reminds us could go on to eternity, but has this little piece of red tape on the one end of the rope, and he says we keep living for the red part of the rope. Why do you think people who lead companies get confused and they fail to see eternity? <laughs> Well, I think managers live in the quarter, CEOs live in the fiscal year, mm -hmm. uh, leaders live with a horizon that aligns with their lifespan. Mm -hmm. And if you are um, 
a, a mortal without an immortal promise through your faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to live for your working lifetime, hope to get out intact to do all the things you promised your spouse you would do with them mm -hmm. before it was all over. Mm -hmm. um, if you come to the table with a faith in Jesus Christ that makes you eternal, um, I find that too frequently people with an eternal horizon are not living differently than the people alongside them, peers, who are operating within a fiscal year limitation. Yeah, and I, I don't know about you, you work with thousands of leaders. In Convene, we have hundreds of uh, CEOs who lead companies, and I see this pattern happen often. They sell the company, and they go on a long vacation, or buy a really nice car, or buy that second house, and then about year to two years later, they realize that the toys that they're playing with don't satisfy anymore, and they come and they say, wow, I need to find something different. And too often they just go, um, uh, the dog returns to its own vomit is the line from the scripture. Um, they go back and they buy a struggling business because they think that they're the solution for a struggling business mm -hmm. rather than really getting in touch with who they were in the first place. And it may have been to not even sell the business in the first place. Mm -hmm. It may have been to say, I'm going to enter a new season of life with a new agenda for life, but it will not be to become a uh, consumed with um, my own excesses approach that seems to be the prize for winning the Powerball yeah. of um, selling my business, merging with a competitor, whatever the, yeah. the exit strategy might be. Yeah. Um, let's think about the timeline of the movement for a little while. Back in the 60s, 70s, some books began to come out that said, uh, you can be a Christian leader. Then maybe in the 80s, your work matters to God. Then the book Halftime by Bob Buford. And now there's hundreds of books that say, you can use your company as a vehicle. You can use your life for the kingdom if you're in business. How would you sort of define uh, the state of the union, if you will? So the academic world is thinking a lot and writing a lot about the movement. I'm not sure how much of it has reached the office tower. What are your thoughts? Um, we're in a space where one size does not, definitely does not fit all. Hmm. Even if I go back to the era when Abraham Lincoln had a, uh, a dictionary and a Bible on the shelf of the home that he grew up in, mm -hmm. um, even if I go to the New Testament model, you'll find that the answer was not consistent across that uh, model. Um, here's Jesus who works in a family business until he knows he's three years from death and retires at 30 and spends his retirement fulfilling his calling. Mm-hmm. Or you find uh, Peter, who at the middle of life uh, goes from for-profit to non-profit and goes from fishing for fish to fishing for men. Mm -hmm. Or you find Paul's model, who says, if I'm not in jail, I'm making tents, and I'm making enough money to pay my own way and that of my entire team. But it's not all that I do, because while I'm doing that, I'm alongside that, fulfilling the calling I have to plant churches. Make tents six days a week, mm -hmm. plant churches one day a week, and finding a compatibility between those two agendas, uh, even when there were not a lot of books around to complicate and confuse us, mm -hmm. it became clear immediately that there was not a one-size-fits-all model that we all had to adopt. And so what we'll find ourselves um, drawn toward is people who have figured it out, but they haven't figured it out for everybody. They figured it out for themselves. 
and we're tasked with listening to great voices who all make some contribution to our thinking, no one of whom contains the final analysis that fits our situation where we can just fill in the blanks with our name and our social security number and presume that their plan becomes our plan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because our plan has to be uniquely designed yeah. around our makeup. Yeah, I remember back when I was running a service master business, it was a small little thing, but I felt like we needed an HR manual. And there was uh, ways to go online way back then in the 80s and uh, order like a boilerplate HR manual. And you would just fill in your name, you know, Service Master by Greg, and you would have an HR manual. But I kind of looked at these products and I thought, well, that's not really how I think we ought to treat people. Uh, that's not really what I think the purpose of our enterprise is. That's not really fill in the blank on a whole lot of things I didn't agree with. So what I did is nothing. But really, wouldn't it be great if there was a tool that uh, was available that would help me run my um, business on biblical principles that was a little more turnkey? I wasn't reading the Bible enough. I wasn't reading enough books. I wasn't doing a lot, but I wanted solutions. I remember back in the 80s going to a conference in Orlando that uh, the Navigators put on and uh, heard a lot of great stuff that I then was able to go back and, and implement. But today, the resources are pretty vast. Paul gave us a clue uh, in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, we're all destined for a performance review at the end of life when the one who we're really working for is going to tell us how we did, what we did that was of no value long-term and what we did that was of high value long-term. And Paul says, based on that, I've got a fear of God that changes the way I operate. And then he makes this incredible statement. For this reason, I no longer look at the people in my world from an earthly point of view. Boy, the worldview question becomes um, foundational. And the truth is that I'm around so many great men and women who are in leadership who are manifesting a mixed bag of worldview. They've got a worldview that has grown up from their culture and in, in, in their career that is more traced back to the corporation that trained them or the industry mm -hmm. that they're in or yeah. the sophistication that was required to get the letters after their name that qualifies them to do what they do for income stream during the week. And they have a worldview that is necessary and pragmatic with regard to their professional lives. And then they get a dusting of worldview in their faith life, most typically on Sundays, but it doesn't necessarily suggest a compatibility. Mm. It's like trying to run a Microsoft application on a Macintosh operating system. Mm -hmm. They just don't uh, collaborate well. Mm -hmm. And we're, we end up with this confusion about how are we supposed to see life mm -hmm. um, and the people in it? Because at the end of the day, it's the people that have eternal value. And so the people that I'm interacting with, my customers, my employees, my competitors, my vendors, all of those people who occupy the seats of my world Monday through Friday, and I was there for a decade and a half mm -hmm. as my for-profit life set the stage for my future, mm -hmm. I came to realize that if my worldview didn't inform and integrate in a constant way in the way I went about my business life, I couldn't separate myself from that to say, here's Bob the Christian leader over here, and here's Bob the marketplace leader over there. Mm -hmm. The two had to be compatible, or else somebody was going to show up in the wrong place, and I would be busted. Mm -hmm. 
Because they would say, I know you differently in another context. Why doesn't that change the way you do this mm-hmm. in a profound way? Mm-hmm. So back to the rocks in the pack on the trail that your daughter was carrying. Mm-hmm. What would be some other rocks that you think CEOs and business leaders, entrepreneurs are carrying today that they should uh, throw off the side of the mountain that's hindering the journey? Well, we're told that we're in a bigger drama than we think we are, that um, we have a, we're, we're part of the current generation's battlefield between God and the evil one. And the evil one, uh, his arsenal is made up primarily of deception, uh-huh. false messaging that always conflicts with truth, mm-hmm. and that where God provides the truth, the enemy provides an error, a, a, a contravention of what's really true. And we have picked up the rocks of deception along the way by voices that say you can't, you shouldn't, you won't, you, you'll, you'll never. Mm-hmm. Uh, voices that say you are, you should. I mean, we don't have filters that allow us to sort out the valid and credible from the invalid and incredible. Mm-hmm. And every time we do that, we've just added to the load of what we're carrying. Uh, some of that is the deception about what we're here for. Some of it is uh, found in an ignorance that says that some people are made for meaningful activity and others of us are involved in things that have no long-term meaning. So we'll just uh, sort of segment that away from our exposure to our faith community and pretend that it doesn't exist and we compartmentalize in a way that becomes a rock in our backpack. Hmm. Uh, The rock in the backpack says that I can learn to be what I have to be rather than saying I'm going to find a context or create one in which I can just be myself. Mm -hmm. Um, What I've watched happen in your life, Greg, and in my life is that our journey, and we've been interactive with one another for decades now, Mm -hmm. Uh, neither of us is finished, but we're both in process of getting rid of things that have been imposed on us based on what is needed and instead allowing us to expose who we are. Mm And when you expose who you are, the crazy thing about work is it never, it no longer feels like work. Mm. And if you have the power to reinvent your role around what's genuine and what's natural, it allows you to never have to feel like you are feigning um, your identity, that you are just the real you being and doing what intuitively naturally flows from the core of your identity, mm-hmm. and that that's the place where you're creating the greatest value, invited back to do it again for a larger audience, uh, raising the value of your contribution every time it's done, because each time you are yourself, mm-hmm. the value of who you are goes up. Yeah. And rather than the person who says, someday I'm going to sell, retire, win, merge, whatever their transition point to a life that escapes the demands, um, their fantasy is that they'll get to a place someday where they can dress the way they want to dress, say what they want to say, be who they want to be. What a tragedy that that is not who they are today. Hmm. And that the life that they're living today is a life that retirement or sale and escape would never be a um, desirable alternative because there's no better day they could have than the one that's in front of them. Yeah, there's so many great stories that come out of the master's program of people who didn't retire to the golf course, retire to the lake house, 
they basically said, I want to make a difference, and they bought retreat centers or you know the story. Wrote so books many or stories. started uh, new enterprises or created um, aspects of what they're already doing mm-hmm. that um, allowed for a platform that didn't exist before to come yeah. to life for them. Yeah. God's got a great retirement program. He calls it death. You get to move to a place better than a retirement community. Yeah. And um, it, it's phenomenal to anticipate that as a great transition. Huh, huh. Well, um, tell us a little bit real quick about the master's program and what's happening. I remember when I was uh, in, I think, the second class, uh, quarterly for three years, one day per quarter. It's the only time you've ever been second class. I know, second class. And we (laughs) talked about balance. We talked about margin. We talked about focus. But I remember every quarter that it was time to come, I was working at uh, Christian Management Association and Biola University. And every quarter I said, oh, my gosh not today. There is no way. I can't do this. I would go, and it was um, an injection of spiritual truth that uh, crystallized my day in a way that was Mm kingdom-focused. So tell us about what's going on these days. Tough to set aside a day um, where the conversation is going to be about eternal value, and it runs up against um, daily demand and delivers some tomorrow benefit along the way. Mm. Um, But those days were great days. Um, For 20 years now, I've been spending great days like that with cohorts of uh, leaders um, who are complementing what they have picked up from church or what they picked up from college and grad school uh, with some assistance in terms of managing and leading with their lives. And... What Convene does so well with regard to career, we do well with regard to calling. Mm. And when you can put career and calling in sync, when you can put them into a compatibility that um, allows the leader to understand the dimensions and the demands of each, something remarkable comes out the other end. Uh, What are we doing today? Well, we've kept our legacy program, which is, uh, as we're calling it, Master's Mm 1.0, which is designed around this, um, bring leaders together in a cohort live once a quarter for three years. So 12 days of very intentional, progressive content uh, that gives them the uh, action steps that um, allow them to re-strategize and relaunch their approach to their existing life and their future. We've also come to recognize that there's a, a little issue of 80 million millennials that are just around the corner, mm-hmm. and uh, we boomers and the busters are sort of the cork in the funnel, not allowing them to get in mm-hmm. and to rise because we're not planning to leave the stage anytime soon. And uh, for those 80 million or so millennials, Masters 2.0 mm-hmm. uh, is launching in the next few months uh, as an online cohort that will um, have the opportunity to get the essence of the master's program, but delivered to a uh, mobile device, mm-hmm. uh, experienced the way they like to experience life in segments that they can do on their own Uh, in their own space, in their own way, Mm -hmm. uh, connecting with one another through uh, digital platforms that allow their interaction to occur without having to pay the valet to park their car and give up their flat screen for a day to be in a stuffy old person's club where their latitude is not theirs. Sweet, sweet. 
Well, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for the work you've done over the decades to help people understand calling. We're just getting started. Sweet. Thanks. Thanks.